0: Blue With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. The- Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, handsome, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him, touchdown Lions. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'll be honest with you. Once again, and I feel like I've said this a few times this year, I'm not sure exactly where to begin. If there's one thing that we learned from Sunday... When the Detroit Lions took a 7-0 lead and then proceeded to lose 41-21 to the Indianapolis Colts. Sending them to 3-4. and four, Essentially eliminating all goodwill from their wins at Jacksonville and at Atlanta. Sending into question again Matt Patricia's job status and Bob Quinn's job status. Sending in again the question of how this roster was constructed, sending in again question the questions about the ability of Matthew Stafford and whether he's the long-term answer for this franchise after a day where he threw a pick six that essentially sealed the game. And while he had 336 yards and three touchdowns, he did have that one interception. He also threw for under 60% completions again. That's the third time in seven games this year. He took five sacks as well. Or is it the question of the offensive line and how they decided to change lineups for whatever reason, even though the last two weeks Matthew Stafford had been protected well, the Lions had been running well, everything seemed to be working on offense, solving at least one part of the team's issues. Only to see them switch up the offensive line personnel, and the run game was atrocious. 13 carries, 29 yards. Your running backs, 11 carries, 8 yards total, because Jamal Agnew had an 11-yard end around, which he also got hurt on. Matthew Stafford had a 10-yard run. Matthew Stafford outran at 10 yards on one carry. Detroit's running backs today. Adrian Peterson, 5 carries for 7 yards. Continuing his downward slide from game one of the year where every week since he has averaged fewer yards per carry than he did the week before. The Lions better hope that that trend stops because Adrian Peterson averaged 1.4 yards a carry against Indianapolis. And if he averages much less than that, well, he's just not going to be going anywhere. And yet, DeAndre Swift, the rookie... Six carries, one yard, 0.2 yards per carry. That is terrible. Trey Burton, Naheem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, Jordan Wilkins, all Indianapolis Colts rushers who averaged more than 1.4 yards per carry. That includes Hines who averaged 1.6 yards per carry. But, oh, yeah, he had two receiving touchdowns. When you look at what DeAndre Swift did in the passing game, Three receptions, 22 yards. Wilkins, who had not run well, really, or run much at all, frankly, entering the season, looked like a guy who should be getting the ball a lot more, maybe perhaps more than Jonathan Taylor, even though Jonathan Taylor is a really good running back, a really good young running back. Because understand this, Jordan Wilkins entering the season, he's a 2018 draft pick out of Ole Miss. Entering Sunday, Jordan Wilkins had 94 total yards on 29 carries. Leaving Sunday, Jordan Wilkins had 20 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown against the Lions. It was his first touchdown of the season. He averaged 4.5 yards a carry. Prior to that, that's a season high, by the way, as well. Prior to that, he'd been averaging basically 3.2 yards a carry. It just didn't work for the Lions today. And by now, should you be surprised? I don't know. I don't think so. Anytime the Lions play a team, and I shouldn't say anytime because occasionally, largely in week threes of the season, Detroit will play a good team and win. They beat New England in 2018. They beat Arizona this year. But, More often than not, when they face a team that should be a coin flip game, that is a very average to above average team in the NFL, and frankly, that is what Indianapolis is, their defense is legitimate, their offense is a little suspect, the Lions fold. The Lions don't win. The Lions, in some cases, do not even come close. This loss was very similar to the loss to Green Bay in Week 2. And Green Bay is a much better team than the Colts. And by that, I mean that the Lions looked okay early. Their defense looked particularly good early. They had their first blocked punt since 2007. They scored a touchdown. They led 7-0. That was the high point. This is just what the Lions are under Matt Patricia. They're 3-4. They could easily be two and four. And yes, you can flip that and say they could easily be four and three as well because they have the two games that were decided by a drop pass in the end zone and four inches of Todd Gurley. That's the difference. But when you look at the teams the Lions have beat, they beat a good Cardinals team, they beat a very bad Jacksonville team. And they beat an Atlanta team that has an interim coach and is still searching for itself. That does not bode confidence. Because when they've played good teams, those teams have largely had their way with them. New Orleans, even though they were down approximately 400 starters, had their way with them. Green Bay could have named their score and had 257 yards rushing. The Bears, that was a toss-up game. And it's a game the Lions lost. And it's a game the Lions should have won going away. Because you want to know what good teams do. Good teams close out those games. Good teams win a majority of their toss-up games. The Detroit Lions do not do that. And the players can be pissed and they can be annoyed and they can be frustrated and they should be. The coaches can be the same thing and they should be. Because what you're seeing right now is not any better than what the Lions had when they let go of Jim Caldwell. In many ways, it's worse. It's not any better than 2018, when the Lions finished 6-10. Because guess where they were? And if this sounds familiar, let me know. The Lions, realizing at 3-3, they needed to shore up a big problem on their defensive line. They trade for possibly the best option out on the market. And they get this player cheap. They hope that this solves their problems. They lose that next weekend. And then they make a move. In 2018, that player was Snacks Harrison. The problem was the run defense. The loss was to Seattle. And less than a week later, Golden Tate was on his way to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. This year, the player was Everson Griffin. The problem was pass rush. The Lions traded for him on the cheap. They lose to Indianapolis, and we'll see what happens during the trade deadline a couple of years later. I'm less thinking that there will be a move, another move made by the Lions where you see a player like a Marvin Jones or a On Johnson who scored a touchdown today. Or someone like that end up getting traded because the situations are a little bit different. In 2018, it was about building the culture of a program. It was about making a decision on a guy in a contract year that wasn't going to be necessarily brought back or at least brought back at the price he wanted in Golden Tate. This year's a little bit different. This year, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are fighting for their jobs. They are coaching and general managing for their jobs. So, Unless they feel like they have a better option sitting behind them. They can't go and get rid of their talent. Because they've gone and they've gotten rid of talented players before. Hi, Quandre Diggs. And yet, that did not work either. That team, by the way, finished three twelve and one Darius Slay, recording this on Sunday night, is playing on Sunday night football for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the Eagles aren't great this year, but Slay has looked all right. Lions could definitely use him without a doubt. So you look at these things, you see these things, and you just kind of wonder what's going on. I know I've talked a lot here. we got to get to a break, and then we'll be back with more, kind of breaking down what happened here in the Lions' 41-21 absolute being annihilated by the Indianapolis Colts. Stick it right here on the Michael Robinson fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today... And take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, you're online. Sportsbook. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Sorry if that was a little bit feisty there at the top. Just have a lot to say. And I really feel... For y'all as fans, like I've said over and over again, I'm not a fan. I don't root one way or the other. I got a job to do. But when you see the same things over and over again, expecting a different result, you kind of are defeating yourself in a lot of ways. And a lot of times I feel like I see that with the Lions. Now, I'll be curious to see what the man's zone splits were because it looked like neither one was particularly working well. Against Indianapolis, Phillip Rivers obviously a very smart quarterback, but they also weren't getting quite the pressure that they needed to, that they had been getting in prior games against the Jaguars and the Seahawks. The Lions did end up having four quarterback hits, and actually, you know, three of them came from the defensive line, two from Danny Shelton and one from Romeo Okwara, the other one came from J. Ron Kurse. So there was some production from the defensive line, which is good, which is an upgrade. And Romeo Aquara, I think continues to still be a bright spot on this Lions team. Again, getting a sack. He probably should have maybe gotten credit for half of Shelton's sack as well. He was right there and a big part of why that happened. So there's a positive for you, by the way, but I wanted to start here and it's, in part because we're talking about Danny Shelton. One of the biggest plays, one of the biggest swings, one of the biggest turning points in the game happened in the first half. The Lions looked like they had stopped Indianapolis. We're going to probably get them off the field or force them into an incredibly long field goal. And then Danny Shelton gets flagged for unnecessary roughness after the play is over, or so it seems. The drive continues. Indianapolis scores. Indianapolis takes the lead. Indianapolis does not trail again. So we as reporters asked for a pool report with NFL referee Clay Martin because it was not entirely clear what Shelton had gotten flagged for. There was kind of a kerfuffle in the middle of the field, and there was just a lot of stuff going on. So he was asked basically, well, what happened with the flag? And I'll I'll read the whole thing. Question. Can you explain the unnecessary roughness call on Detroit's Danny Shelton after his sack in the second quarter? Clay Martin, quote, I had blown the play dead for forward progress where I thought the quarterback was stopped, and then I felt that number 71, that's Shelton, unnecessarily continued on with him, and about at about the same time I'm processing that, the scrum starts. So my attention went immediately to breaking up the chaos, if you will, and I threw my flag late but the flag was for number 71 unnecessary roughness after my whistle for forward progress and quote follow-up question. So Shelton just continued with the play when he should have stopped Martin quote, that was my ruling. Yes, period unquote. So that's what happened there. I know that some fans were really upset about that after the game, during the game, they thought it was a bad call. So it was more that, Clay Martin tried to de-escalate something larger and just didn't get around to throwing that flag. I have no problem with that, and that, to me, explains exactly what Clay Martin saw. You can disagree with it all you want, but that is what the referee saw, and he was down on the field, and, you know, it's a little bit different. I, to me, I would give a little bit more leeway to players if you're playing in a loud road stadium and it's, or a loud home stadium, just a loud stadium, period. That is not what's going on here. The The biggest noise that you hear is, frankly, the, the drum line that they now added at Ford Field now that they have some fans in there. Because I'll tell you what, that drum line is super loud. You can hear them. You know when they're there. But other than that, it's not really loud. There were 500 friends and family there, and you barely heard them. So I don't think that affected anything. If anything, I, I know that they were there because I saw what I believe were some of Matt Prater's relatives and... Kelly Stafford, they ended up on the big screen because they still did the Lions King Club, Kid Club Cam thing, basically the thing where the where parents lift their kids on their head, like the movie The Lion King. They did that. That was really the only in-game thing they did for the quote-unquote fans. But I want to read you something else. And this is what Re- Reggie Ragland talked about when Reggie Ragland was asked about the... Penalty against Danny Shelton. "Quote: We can't have penalties, simple as that. But some of this stuff getting ticky-tacky out here, man. It's going to be pushing and shoving, man. But you don't have to throw a flag all the time. If you're watching, man, I'm over here trying to get everybody right. But then, blank Philip Rivers comes grab me like he's crazy. But if I would have grabbed him, it would have been a penalty." So just because he's a quarterback don't mean nothing. Come on now, but it is what it is. It's an offensive league, end quote. I then asked, followed that up with basically asking, so is he saying that Rivers touched him and he just said it, there would have been a flag, and he basically gave the same answer a couple of different times. So that is at least one Lions player's perspective. Danny Shelton not made available to the media After games, in typical non-COVID times, we would have sought Danny Shelton out, along with a bunch of other players that didn't talk, including Adrian Peterson, who averaged 1.4 yards per carry, and DeAndre Swift, who averaged 0.2 yards per carry. But I wanted to just address that situation because I know it's one that will come up and one that's a little bit controversial or was a little bit controversial. But hopefully, when you hear that and you go back and watch it, you understand that, The flag was only thrown late because Clay Martin was trying to keep the peace and keep from what could have been a bad situation get even uglier, and that's one of the things that is his job as a referee and as an official. So no problem with that there. Matthew Stafford, we're just going to jump right here, and I know I probably had a little bit of an exasperated sigh. I I just don't get it. I can't explain it. The interception the pick six he basically said he just didn't see the nickel and that was on him he took the blame as he usually does during losses I think that there's a good reason to blame him for a lot of stuff in this game he threw that pick six which essentially sealed the game before that he got strip sacked giving Indianapolis a pretty darn good chance and a pretty pretty good chance to basically Cause some more problems and cause some more havoc, and it should of course be no surprise that Indianapolis scored on that possession as well. That just kind of added up to everything. Even though, yeah, it just nothing good came from that. Those were on back-to-back possessions where Stafford made errors. Stafford made mistakes. Heck, it was on back-to-back Stafford offensive plays that that happened. Matthew Stafford just can't be doing that. Not as a 12-year starter in the league. Not as a guy who people want to consider as a top-10 quarterback. Not as somebody that I consider a top-10 quarterback. Like That stuff just can't happen. That's the type of stuff that you expect from rookies, expect from second-year quarterbacks. You just have to make better decisions. That's just the truth of it, and I think Matthew Stafford makes a lot of good decisions. They just didn't really come against the Colts, and that is part of the problem because so many Lions players either made poor decisions or just didn't play well against the Colts, which brings me to another guy, Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay targeted four times in the first half. Did not catch a single pass. Of course, they were, as always, in the contested catch variety. And he's been on such a hot streak with catching contested balls that you forget that those are 50-50 for a reason. And you come back kind of down to earth a little bit every once in a while. But Galladay had no catches. Then he hurt his hip. And you didn't see him after that. Didn't see him on the sideline. Didn't see whatever. After the game, now Matt Patricia, to be fair, never really talks much about injuries in the post-game, or, well, if we're being honest, ever. But I asked him about Kenny Galladay's injury because that is a big one. And I also didn't see the exact play where it happened. Quote, I think we had a couple of things today that we have to sort through and find out. And then he, the audio on his press conference was not great, so kind of lost the end of that. But that's where we're at when you're looking at Kenny Galladay. If the Lions lose Kenny Galladay for any length of time, that will be disastrous because you saw what the offense looked like when Kenny Galladay was not on the field and it struggled. It was not pretty. It was one that did not have any efficiency or consistency. Lions also lost both of their games without Kenny Galladay. So that's going to be something to monitor and something potentially big. Trey Flowers appeared to leave the game late and don't know exactly what's going on there. Jamal Agnew, as we talked about before, he got injured. And he is key on multiple levels because he's starting to really find his way a little bit more in the offense. I know he only had one touch offensively, but it was the Lions' longest run of the day. But he's still a high-quality, high-level returner that you are counting on. Based off of what happened after Agnew got hurt, looks like Marvin Hall would potentially take over those duties. But that would be a massive loss if Jamal Agnew can't play for a little while. Obviously of the three, Agnew would be the least that would be painful because if you lose Trey Flowers for any period of time and again, I have no idea exactly what happened there. I didn't see what happened on the play. Kyle Meinke from MLive reported that he went to the locker room. I didn't remember seeing him after that, but he may have even come back. And then, obviously, the big one would be Kenny Galladay, arguably the team's second most important player after Matthew Stafford. If he's out for any length of time, this offense needs to figure out exactly what they're doing. That also, going back to some of the trade stuff, potentially, that we were talking about at the end of last week, would, to me, make it, Impossible to trade Marvin Jones if you even wanted to do that. Probably would not even want to trade a carry on Johnson at that point because you need to have as many offensive options as possible. If anything, it might put you on the market if Galladay were out for some significant period of time to grab a receiver if you're the Lions. But at the same time, if you're the Lions, how much draft capital do you want to give up? And also, realistically, how much draft capital will you be allowed to give up? Because if I'm Sheila Ford-Hamp, I'm at least keeping an eye on the moves you're making to make sure that you're not sacrificing any of the long-term future of the franchise in an attempt to win this year and win this year only. Because that, that might be a faulty strategy. That just might not work. So that's a couple of things I saw. From the game. The running game, I, there's not even much to say other than it was bad, other than they really need to figure out a way to be different, to diversify, to take more chances in the run game. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, run Carry on Johnson. Carry on Johnson's role is so limited right now that it doesn't make sense. He's their best pass blocker. He caught a touchdown pass today as well. He had two receptions for 15 yards. There's no reason to not get him more involved in the offense, because right now, what's happening with Adrian Peterson is it's very predictable, and when play action happens, it doesn't get sold all that well, and Matt Patricia's good at selling play... Sorry, not Matt Patricia. Matthew Stafford is good at selling play action. So... That's not the problem. It really seems like the problem is some of the decisions they're making with the plays that they are calling, with the situations they are using Peterson in. Of course, this was a very good run defense they played, so don't forget that and don't discredit that by any stretch of the imagination. But you have to be better than 1.4 yards per carry or 0.2 yards per carry. Because here's the other thing when it comes to Adrian Peterson that you have to realize. Adrian Peterson's longest run was 7 yards. Adrian Peterson, all day, gained seven yards, which means his other four carries got nothing. Zero. Zilch. Absolutely nada. And that is a problem. There's also, frankly, this. And we've talked about this a little bit before when we've looked at the Detroit Lions and what they've been doing. So, while the numbers won't necessarily bear, bear it out because on the first play of five of the 11 drives, the Detroit Lions ran the ball. Understand that that's a little bit skewed because at some point the Lions had to stop running it because they were down by so much. When they were still very much in the game, the Lions tended to rely on running the ball on first down. This is something Matt Patricia wants to do. This is something that Daryl Bevel has done throughout the his time in Detroit particularly this year very often that first down run is with Adrian Peterson and if the first down run works the second round the second down run does not but more and more even the first down run is starting not to work either it's just not effective it's just not working and that is a major, major problem for Detroit. One that was, frankly, accentuated even more during this game against the Colts because the Lions were able to mask some of their issues when they were playing Jacksonville and when they were playing Atlanta. And then eventually they were just blown out in certain games and they lost such a big lead, or not such a big lead, but the way that they played and the way that they just got down against New Orleans made it difficult to really get a grasp and a gauge on what was happening there. But I wanted to pull up a couple of numbers, again, through our good friends at ESPN Stats and Information. I wanted to look at first downs and kind of what the Lions looked like on first down this year. Because first down is obviously a very big down. The Lions on first down have averaged actually 3.9 y- 3.99 yards per rush. They've averaged 7.74 yards per pass attempt. They've scored actually nine touchdowns. They've gained 1,111 yards on first down this year. Today or yesterday against the Colts, they had 28 snaps on first downs, they gained 114 yards, both of the touchdowns came on first down, Matthew Stafford was 10 of 18 on first down, 55.6 completion percentage, and they had nine carries on first down. That is the second lowest amount of carries they had on first downs all year, because guess what? When we're looking at this, the Lions have run the ball a lot on first downs. Now, again, that shouldn't be shocking, but some games they've done it more than others. They had about a 50% balance against the Bears, 17 rushes, 16 passes. Against the Packers, 18 passes, 8 runs. Not surprising considering the Lions were down big for most of the second half. Against the Cardinals, 10 passes, 19 runs. Again, the Lions were trying to play ball control. Against the Saints... 9 passes, 12 runs. Lions trying to take a similar strategy, but they also have velvet behind early. Against the Jaguars, 10 passes, 21 runs. The Lions were up and in control most of the game. Against the Falcons, which was back and forth, 16 passes, 11 runs. Against the Colts, a similar situation where they had to play from behind for most of the second half, 18 passes, 9 runs. And even when you dig in a little bit more, you look at the yards per carry the last couple of weeks, it's been brutal. 2.82 yards per carry against the Falcons on first down. 1.56 yards per carry against the Colts on first down. That puts you in already behind the schedule and already in potentially disadvantageous situations and positions. In the Lions' other wins this year besides against the Falcons, they averaged 5.19 yards per rush on first down against Jacksonville, and 3.32 yards per rush against Arizona. Now, that doesn't always mean anything because they average 5.29 yards per carry on first down against the Bears. But, again, that was one of those big collapses. So, those numbers should look as they do. And I don't know what to make of all of that. Understand that. Those are just numbers. Those are just one attempt at explanation to try and figure out what's been going on with Detroit's offense, but they haven't totally been loading up on the run as much as we all talk about and we all think. They have been throwing the ball a decent amount. It's much more 50-50. I think we just remember the runs more because the runs have been so largely ineffective, particularly over the last two weeks on first down when it comes to that. Now, you're saying, well, okay, but listen, first down, you expect them to do that. What about second down? Well, I'll tell you, because I think that that's a very fair and valid question. On second down, the Lions are passing a lot more than they're running, including against the Colts, where they passed 12 times and they only ran four times. Only two games out of their seven so far have they run more than passed, or really only one game where they run ran more than they passed, and that was against Jacksonville, which again, Blowout win. Shouldn't be surprising. And the only other time they had double-dish rushes on second down was in week one against the Bears when they had 10 carries and 12 passing attempts. All the other times they've had, for the most part, more passing attempts than rushing attempts. And in all except for the game against Green Bay, in the second on the second down, they had over 10 passing attempts. So, they are a little predictable, but they are also trying to stay within that margin of what works for them and staying unpredictable. Now, I think it's just you watch the team a lot, as a lot of people do, and as I do. So, you're kind of getting conditioned to see Adrian Peterson first down run, Adrian Peterson second down run, disadvantageous third down run. That seems and feels very much like what has been happening with the Lions, but the statistics would not necessarily bear that out with the understanding and the, I guess, exception that we know where they stand in some of those areas. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Here was, I thought, an interesting fact from ESPN Stats and Info as we're talking about the run and the lack thereof. Of the run this year, and it is right here. And this again comes from our people at SIG. The Lions abandoned the run game on Sunday. Matthew Stafford dropped back on 48 of 60 offensive plays. That's 80%. That's the highest rate for any team in a game this season. So, Detroit, congratulations, you wanted something. And it's Detroit's highest dropback rate since week one of 2018 against the Jets, which was a blowout loss for the Lions. Matt Patricia's first home game with the Lions. And if you remember, that game started with a pick six. I believe it was by Quandre Diggs. Literally play one, drive one. Everyone was like, whoa, this is going to become a thing. That was the high point of the night. Some people might argue that was the high point of the season, although they did beat New England in week three. But all that said, the fact that you can look at that two and a half years later and say that was a high point of the Matt Patricia tenure, not really a good sign. Here's another thing to think of too, and it's just, it's not surprising. The Lions, and I quote this from Sig, the Lions have lost 13 straight games when they drop back to pass on at least two-thirds of offensive plays. Matt Patricia, it's almost like he knows this because he's been talking about wanting to focus on the run, but the run just largely has been avoiding them and hurting them and evading them with any sort of regularity this year. And that's the other thing, too, and this is the last thing that I really do want to hit on, consistency. We hear about it a lot. We've heard about it a lot. It's one of those buzzwords that you, coaches will bring out, that players will bring out when things aren't going well. Well, you're hearing consistency a lot these days and just need to be consistent and have to be consistent and want to be consistent and just consistency, 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 consistency. You're hearing that. But what does that mean? I mean, it's simple that it means you just play at the same level, a fairly high level week in and week out. But we're all human, whether we're football players or journalists or podcast listeners or accountants or doctors or lawyers or whatever it is that you do. We're all different, but we're all essentially the same and have the same kind of human instincts and human nature. So I don't know. It's hard to be consistent like that. Every single game. It's hard. Even Michael Jordan couldn't do it. Even Tom Brady couldn't do it. Some games are better than others. You have other things going on in your life. But they will continually say consistency and what they really mean is consistency on a play to play level and and just making sure that their bad plays aren't really bad like there's this old adage and analogy in golf where you know you need your bad shots to be good enough shots and that's how you're the sign of a good golfer because you can every golfer will hit a good shot occasionally when i go out and i'm nowhere near a good golfer anymore when I go out and play, I will sometimes stripe a 300-yard drive right down the middle. Doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you'll get in that groove and you'll do it. Three or four holes in a row. or Four or five holes on an 18. And you're like, all right, I think I got it going. But it turns out you don't because just something else is broken. I mean, that's just the game of golf, right? But what well, my point is when I say that is that my biggest problem as a golfer, and is the biggest problem with almost every golfer, is consistency from stroke to stroke, from hole to hole, from round to round. A lot of that is mental. Some of it is physical. And right now, the Lions, and really under Matt Patricia, with the Lions, they have had a problem with consistency. They've lost now seven in a row at home, dating back to last year. Very rarely have they won two games in a row, Right now, they've done it a grand total of twice under Matt Patricia. They won in two weeks two and three of last season, where they won two games in a row in back-to-back weeks, and then they won here in the last two weeks before Sunday. So week six and week seven of this NFL season, when they beat Jacksonville and Atlanta, that is it. That is the entirety of the list. And frankly, where things stand right now, when it comes to the Detroit Lions, and their biggest problem is a lack of consistency, and it's been around for so long that you have to start to wonder how, if, and when it will get fixed under this regime, because right now, it's just not there. And that was one thing, that not to make the comparison to Jim Caldwell, but his team's always played with a certain level of consistency. Very rarely did they make silly mistakes or errors that were really costly. Occasionally it would happen, and a lot of times it would happen with the counting of the number of players on the field, which turns out was an issue for the Lions, where on a two-point conversion they apparently only had 10 men. Matt Patricia was kind of sort of asked about this after the game as well, because, you know, that's something that I think is very sensitive to Lions fans pers- specifically. Sorry, couldn't quite get that word out there for a second. But you look at it, and I'm just pulling up the quote here that he said, Matt Patricia said, quote, I think we had a bad execution in that situation. The communication has to be better there. He didn't exactly explain what had happened, but he essentially acknowledged that, yeah, they had 10 men on the field during a two-point situation. Of course, special teams was an area where Jim Caldwell's team struggled with making sure they had the right amount of players on the field. Now, to be fair to Jim Caldwell, some of that came after some firings on his staff, so everybody was kind of in charge of a little bit more and doing a little bit more. But that said, the basic making sure you have 11 on the field – at all times is a play is something that is just paramount to any play you'll make it's just making sure you have the right number of personnel on the field like I, I can't stress that enough how important that is so I feel like we hit on some stuff for the game. there's just not a lot to talk about in a 20 point blowout. The Lions need to make some changes they need to take really difficult hard looks at what they're doing because it is midseason. The chance of making a playoff berth, especially in a loaded NFC, dwindles by the week, dwindles by the loss. And the Lions have a November that they can absolutely take advantage of. Going to Minnesota here on Sunday, then hosting Washington, then go to in Car- going to Carolina and hosting Houston on Thanksgiving. That is the stretch the Lions need to take care of. They need to be big there. They need to probably win their next four games. Because after that, it gets harder. They play Green Bay at home. They go to Chicago. They have to play Tampa at home. They go to Tennessee. They end the season at home against Minnesota. Sure, Tampa at times looks vulnerable. Tennessee at times looks vulnerable. Chicago looks very vulnerable. And Green Bay also looks vulnerable. Minnesota is what they are more toward the bottom of all of this in the NFL this year. But the Lions can't guarantee it that they're going to get any of those wins. Maybe they slip one out of there. But if you want to make the playoffs, you probably have to get nine wins. Right now you're at three. So right now you're in a position where because you lost on Sunday, you have to steal one of the ones that you think you should win. And it's part of the reason why getting to nine and seven is going to be a really tough, tough deal. For the Lions this year. But we'll see what happens. And we'll be along every step of the way. Every day. Want to thank all of you for listening today. I know we didn't totally completely break down the Colts game. But it was a blowout loss. So there might be just some stuff there that I'll bring up throughout the week. As I rewatch. But there's probably going to be a lot there that you just don't want to see. And just kind of want to move on from. Particularly on defense again, which makes you wonder whether Jacksonville and Atlanta were more smoke and mirrors and more just anomalies than the Lions having real strong definitive progress. I'll admit that I got a little bit duped there too, because I think Atlanta's offense is pretty good. I never would have written the story I wrote on Saturday about the evolution of their offense had they not done it against Atlanta, which I think is a pretty powerful offense. So one of the my sponsors. Indeed, and Bet Online want to thank Blue Wire Podcast for hosting me. Want to, follow, to thank all of you for listening and subscribing and leaving nice ratings. All of those things they mean a lot to me. Here, as uh, this is also officially my birthday week, turned 40 on Wednesday. Still can't totally believe that. And if you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday, even though it is dropping on Monday, don't forget if you haven't already, go out and vote. With that, we will talk with you tomorrow.